Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. My friends, my generation, I don't think we're going to grow up wanting a, you know, a Pollock or a Monet or a Picasso. I think they're going to want like a Jordan rookie card or a Giannis or a Luca or a Hank Aaron. Welcome to The Real Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Max Gershberg. You just heard a clip from John Frankel's latest real sports story about sports cards. You know, the little pieces of cardboard that you used to stuff into shoeboxes under your childhood bed or swap with friends at the lunch table. Well, those cards are now being collected like valuable works of art. Coveted cards now regularly sell for millions of dollars. And while the pandemic wreaked havoc on most industries, the last year and a half has seen the value of sports collectibles go through the roof. On today's podcast, you'll hear John Frankel's story on this booming marketplace and meet some of the many people dedicating their lives to cashing in on cards. You'll also learn about the new wave of digital collectibles that have burst onto the scene and some now believe will revolutionize the business for years to come. Afterwards, we'll be joined by industry expert Mike Giuseffi, host of the Ringer podcast Sports Cards Nonsense, who will come on to help explain the recent sports card craze and give us his thoughts on if or when the bubble may burst. And NBA player Harrison Barnes will join us. Barnes doesn't just have his own sports cards, he likes to buy them up too. As an avid collector of those new digital cards known as NFTs, he'll join us to talk about the growing interest in these cards, even among fellow NBA players, and how he's gone about building his own collection. But first, here's John Frankel's latest real sports story. I trade you big growth, Freddie Matthews. For generations, young boys collected and swapped trading cards of their favorite athletes. I'll trade you John Christensen for him. Okay. For a reason that's become a bit old-fashioned in modern-day America, for fun. But today, trading cards looks a lot more like trading stocks. And the boys doing the trading aren't in it for fun, but for fortune. Your dad said something to me. Your dad said, you are worth more than he is. Is that weird? It's definitely really weird knowing that the value of my cards is worth more than, you know, many middle-aged, you know, older people. Did you think that you would be a multimillionaire at the age of 18? I didn't think I'd be a multimillionaire by the age of retirement. Adam Rips is a freshly minted high school graduate in suburban New York. He's also rich. So rich, in fact, that while his friends are all heading off to start college this week, Adam is staying right here in his childhood bedroom to continue his childhood hobby. You think that you can make more money by trading cards than a college education is worth? It's fair to say that I can make more money on cards. Rips is riding the wave of one of the biggest investment booms in America, the boom in sports collectibles. 
he's built an empire in just a few years, starting when he was merely a young man, making small trades of inexpensive cards. I would buy some cards for 20 and sell them for 40, or some cards for 50 and sell them for 100. And once I was able to kind of prove that this is something I could sustain and something I can make money on, um, I was able to convince my parents to uh, give me $5,000 to spend from my bar mitzvah money stash. And I put that into Giannis Antetokounmpo back in 2015, and that turned out to be one of the greatest investments I ever could have imagined. It was a good bar mitzvah. It was a good bar mitzvah. It was a good bar mitzvah. That's because soon after, Giannis Antetokounmpo, the Greek freak, hit the NBA scene like a bolt from the blue, sending the value of his cards soaring. Suddenly flush with cash, Adam bought more cards and by his junior year had amassed a huge collection. That's when a second bolt hit from the blue, the COVID pandemic, which devastated much of the world, but had a very different effect on the world of sports trading cards. What happened is that a lot of people got connected to sports cards because of nostalgia, because there was no sports betting going on anymore, no, no more live sports, and so a lot of people who collected as a kid got back into it, or they found their own collections in their house. With no sports on the field or the courts, this became the action. It became the action. As a result, did you see prices jumping through the roof? Everything went up. Today, Adam's collection is worth an estimated $3 million. His bedroom is decorated with some of the most expensive pieces of cardboard around. Michael Jordan. This one has been preserved in amazing shape. Right now, it's probably worth around 75000 And you paid what for it? I bought this one over a year ago for $12,000. Okay. All right, what else we got here? I got this one for around $13,000. Right now, it would probably be worth eighty to 100000 But it's not just teenagers who've become wealthy buying and selling little pieces of cardboard. I'll give you 500 in store credit. Nate Burns used to sell real estate for a living. But even when the market was booming, he never made close to what he's making these days, running a card shop outside of Nashville. So I want to get this straight. In a typical year, as a realtor, you were making 40,000, 50,000. What are you making now? Millions. Millions? Millions. I, I tell people sometimes, even now, that I'm afraid I'm going to wake up, and it's the first day the store's open, and this was all a dream. Order number 22! Autograph, letter, patch, book, card. Byrne says his business boomed during COVID because he was able to do most of it online, like the show he hosts every night, during which he sells packs of cards to his viewers, then opens them to reveal what's inside. We open products for customers all over the world. Somebody says to you, I want to buy a pack or a box mm -hmm. off your shelf, mm -hmm. and they'll let you open it live. That's right. Burns' customers actually pay him a few hundred bucks to open their new packs. Big Mike! Let's go, baby! Let's go! Hoping that one of the mystery cards inside will turn out to be worth a fortune. It sounds like people who are watching the lottery numbers announced on TV. Very good analogy. What's the biggest card you've revealed on your show? Well, we've hit three of the Luka Doncic National Treasures rookie cards. At the time we pulled them, they were 7,000 each. Now they're worth a quarter of a million dollars each. How does that happen? Supply and demand. That demand got so out of hand recently that Target 
one of the country's largest chain stores, stopped selling sports cards after customers who had camped out all night looking to load up on cards started fighting over their place in line, with one person pulling out a gun. Shoppers at a Brookfield Target were forced to run and hide after a fight this morning in the parking lot. Police say it all started with a disagreement over trading cards. People are looking for the gold ticket. They're looking for the $20 bill on the shelf that they can turn into a $100 bill. Or more. Or more. Last month, we watched as Burns prepared to leave town for the Super Bowl of card conventions in Chicago. He planned to be a major player and prepared accordingly, arming himself with millions of dollars worth of cards and $500,000 in cold, hard cash. He didn't fly commercial, but on a private jet, befitting his new status as an investment tycoon. By the time we caught up with him again just a few hours later, Burns had already done more than $400,000 worth of business. What's the most expensive card you've sold here? Um, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, triple autograph. And that went for how much? $150,000. And there were sales like this all over the convention hall. Fans celebrating the golden age of sports cards. It is like no other time in the history of this business. Mike Giuseppe is an industry expert who hosts a podcast on The Ringer. Every couple months now, it seems like we're seeing a new highest card ever. Million-dollar cards were not really a thing 10 years ago. And now, just yesterday at the show, somebody bought a Patrick Mahomes rookie for over $4 million. Um, a couple weeks before that, there was a Babe Ruth, $6 million. Uh, LeBron for a million before that. And so, then I'm going to keep those cards and I'm going to put them out on my mantle place or I'm going to put them up on the wall? I hope you live in a nice area. I'm not putting a $5 million card on my mantle. So I think almost all these guys, it's going in a vault somewhere. And that's precisely where real estate mogul Kurt Rappaport keeps his collection, in a vault in Beverly Hills. And when he wants to transport his cards anywhere, like to his beach house, just up the Pacific Coast Highway in Malibu, his insurance company requires that he does so with armed security. Lots of security. I'm John. John, pleasure. Really nice to meet you. Good to meet you. You got some pretty precious cargo there, huh? We do, yes. How many cards do you have in there? We have about 24. What are those 24 cards estimated to be worth? Well, according to the insurance company, it's about $40 million. $40 million? Yeah. You got that handcuff to your wrist? <laughs> I don't, but I got good backup. Rappaport says that during the pandemic, while stuck at home without much to do, he started researching sports cards and thought they'd make for a wise investment, especially after learning they have outperformed the S&P 500 over the last 20 years. Before long, he was all in, even buying one of the most coveted cards of them all, the famous Honus Wagner T206. Honus Wagner's card is the holy grail of all sports cards. You paid what for it? 3.7 million. Did that make you gulp? No, because it, I thought it was a great deal. And in retrospect, it was a tremendous deal. I've had people offer me, you know, two and a half times what I've paid. And you've said no? I've said no. Why? Because I wouldn't have the card anymore. <laughs> but you don't have the card anyway. It's in the bank. I go visit it frequently. I, <laughs> I'm a uh, frequent visitor to the vault. Have your friends ever said to you, wait a minute, that's a ton of money to put into a piece of cardboard. 
I heard it all. And, and you're crazy. What are you thinking? Uh, you know, it's a baseball card. And then I started explaining that, no, there's an exact science to it. If you buy the most beautiful cards, there's always going to be a value for that. And that's exactly how Rappaport says he went about building another one of his collections. Look anywhere on his walls and you will see one masterpiece after another. He told us he considers his sports cards to be no different. From Jackie Robinson to Babe Ruth to Henry Aaron. I really wanted things that I reacted to, things where I would look at and say, that's a beautiful card. That looks like a Warhol to me. Don't laugh because Rappaport is not the only one who considers sports cards to be akin to great works of art. So does, ready for this, the FBI. That's right. Back at the sports card convention in Chicago, the FBI's art crime team was on the lookout for fraudsters, people trying to pass off phony cards for big bucks. We're talking about trading cards, and yet this falls under a category of art crime. Is that right? Correct. There's such a high, high dollar amount going through this industry right now. Nobody should be shocked that we are looking to root out the bad players within. The Brian Brusakis is an FBI agent. Are you seeing the same sorts of things in the card trading business that you see in the art world? Fraud and, and fakes and forgeries? Absolutely. Can you put a dollar figure on the amount of fraud in this business each year? In the millions. It's a billion dollar industry. And recently, that industry took yet another leap forward, expanding the market into the virtual world. While all of the cards for sale in Chicago could be touched, held, and traded, a new kind of card was recently created that exists only online. The NBA has begun selling video highlights as collectibles under the brand name NBA Top Shot. So NBA Top Shot in its simplest form is just digital basketball cards. And so think about anything um, that you know about physical sports cards and take away the physical actual piece of cardboard and that's Top Shot. It's just online. Exactly right. When he's not working at his day job in finance, 32-year-old Michael Levy loves watching sports, especially basketball. So one day last fall, when he saw that the NBA had started selling individual highlights of players, he was intrigued and before long started buying them up. How much did you invest when you first got into this game? I invested between $175,000 and $200,000. I assume that $200,000 grew substantially. It topped out at around $20 million. Of course, what goes up can also come down, especially in a trendy new market. And today, Levy's collection is worth a mere $12 million. Still, it's a staggering number, especially to the many people who can't quite grasp this strange new idea. Explain to me the value of having a video highlight if I can go on any online service almost and pull up that highlight. Any sports broadcasting network could show that highlight. What makes it special that you have that? What makes the Top Shot moment valuable is that it's an authentic licensed product from the NBA that has verifiable scarcity and a market around it. Isn't a collectible about being able to hold it in your hand, to appreciate it, to put it on your shelf. So I'd say traditionally that's the case, but the world's moving more digital. And what I'm hopeful for is that these sorts of digital assets are seen as the new age version of sports cards. 
But all of this begs the question. After a year of unprecedented growth that has made lots of people fabulously wealthy, will the market for sports cards, both traditional and digital, burst? Perhaps no one has more on the line than 18-year-old Adam Ripps, the teenager who's skipping college to make sports cards his life's work. Are you concerned that this could crash? I mean, we say your collection's worth three million, maybe in a week from now it's worth a fraction of that. I think it's cyclical, and so like every market, there's going to be ups and downs. A lot of people like art, a lot of people like watches, and there's a ton of people that love sports cards. My friends, my generation, I don't think we're going to grow up wanting a, you know, a Pollock or a Monet or a Picasso. I think they're going to want like a Jordan rookie card or a Giannis or a Luca or a Hank Aaron. Um, so the fact that people are looking at these as real, tangible assets now is super cool. And now joining us, card aficionado and host of the Ringer podcast, Sports Cards Nonsense, Mike Giuseffi. Mike, welcome. I'll be honest with you. If I knew you were going to call me an aficionado, I would have I would have combed my hair. I feel like a bum now. Thank you for having me, though. I appreciate it. Of course. Our pleasure. You've been following this space for a while. Did anything prepare you for the boom we've seen over the last couple of years? No, nothing. And anybody who tells you they were prepared is a liar. When COVID hit, I did what most other people did. I took my position and I, I told my wife, I'll see you like in two weeks. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be 24-7 selling, moving off product, diversifying our, <laughs> where we have money tied up because I thought it would be the exact opposite. And uh, yeah, just, just went absolutely crazy. You said in our story, every couple days now, there seems to be a record purchase. Just recently, a Honus Wagner card sold for $6.6 Are we reaching the upper limit for these record-smashing sales, or do you think they'll continue to go higher? There's another card that's actually sold quite a bit higher than that that, that we'll be, I think, going to hear about in the next week or so. I think there's still some monster LeBron pieces that we're going to see close in the eight-figure range. I don't think that's by any means out of the realm of possibility. So no, I, I think we're we're at a healthy spot for the crazy high-end stuff, but we're going to keep seeing that high get broken. So these top-of-the-market items keep smashing records, but overall, where's the market now relative to where it was kind of at the peak when it was exploding in the pandemic? Has it come back to earth at all? Yeah, come way back down. Uh, and, and honestly, it's om- there's almost two markets here. The super high end has not been affected. That's why we're seeing record-breaking numbers every, what, three to five weeks. That market has not really been messed around with. Like, that $6.5 million Honus Wagner is not going to be $3 bucks in a month. She's just not. But a lot of the other stuff for regular people that we were buying, yeah, I mean, from February to March, roughly, when we saw absolute unbelievable highs to now, I think a lot of stuff is, if you look at the numbers, 40 to 60% down from where it was then. Not everything. But in general, it's it's way down from there. Wow. And, and you just mentioned LeBron. It, it's not just these old classics, but new cards that have exploded in value, right? Giannis Antetokounmpo, Patrick Mahomes, Luka Doncic. For investors, how much more volatility, Mike, is there in those cards given you're dealing with active players? Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, so you brought up some interesting names. Luka, for example, last year when he played the Clippers, one of his most popular base rookies jumped up to $2,000. Well, you can buy it right now for 800 bucks in the matter of, you know, whenever the end of that bubble play was, less than a year. You know, Giannis stuff, same thing. He had rookies, Prism rookies, very well-known brand, selling for $7,000. Now, even after winning a finals, they're selling for like 2200 
So there's a ton of volatility, not only because of what they do on the court, but hype has just become the main push in terms of why things sell high or sell low. So it's it's a it's super volatile, though, no question. What do you make of this new wave of digital trading cards? Is it a fad or is it here to stay? Yeah, I mean, Top Shot's interesting, right? It came out, it was the hottest thing on the planet. And now if you look at anybody's portfolio, anybody who's down less than 85% is like an anomaly. I mean, that that... That, that value has gotten absolutely destroyed, which is funny. You had NBA players talking about it, guys tweeting out about it, social influencers telling us this is the next big thing. I don't hear a lot of that talk anymore, quite frankly, because it's it's gotten crushed. The NFT market in general, it's just a super saturated. I'm not saying it's, there's not cool technology, but man, I mean, if, if I've got money right now, that's not the first place I would be running to look to invest it. A lot of people can't make sense of it. Spending money on a highlight that's on ESPN or right. on YouTube with the, with the click of a mouse. I, I mean, how are we to understand it? The value in these NFTs as genuine long-term investments? Yeah, I, well, first of all, I can tell you, I don't understand it. I, I'm not saying that there aren't some that 10, 20, 30 years from now will be unbelievable and they'll be the first of their kind and they'll have extreme value. But I just think it's like anything else. People saw NFTs take off. You know, again, you get some cool, some cool people talking about it and people spend a ton of money and the vast majority just overproduce crap. Not specifically Top Shot, but Top Shot was never worth what it was supposed to be. It was never designed to do that either, where things go up 50x or 100x. That was the epitome of a bubble. Technology nobody understands, prices that make no sense to anybody, and it crashed. So I, I think it's at a spot now, though, where it's kind of fun to trade again for people who were involved in it. But anybody, I, I'm just convinced that anybody who tells me they understand the NFT market and where it's going, I just think is full of it because it's such a new, brand new stage of a new concept. If you're wrong and these things kind of stabilize and become very valuable, and if these become ubiquitous across the sports landscape, do you see them diminishing the value of traditional collectibles? Yes, that's another thing. I don't. I don't think they're mutually exclusive to baseball cards. I mean, I like cards because it's a physical, tangible thing. I'm also an old man in this space. I'm 35 and I'm like, you know, ancient in the card world now. I don't want to see a clip of Tom Brady. I want his autographed jersey on my wall and I want his rookie PSA 10 graded, you know, card in my bank vault. I, I don't want to see a clip that I can see. If I want to see a clip, I'll look on YouTube. But there are a ton of people not involved in sports cards who love it. But I think the crossover is way smaller. Originally, this was pitched as like, hey, this is a new age for card collecting. And it's not. It's just this is another thing to collect. So it's a sustainable thing at the values now. But I don't think it really takes away from the card market at all, honestly. Hmm. Interesting. Well, Mike, certainly great to get your insight on all of this. We uh, thank you for coming on. Yeah, I appreciate it, Max. Thanks for the time. And now let's dig a little deeper into those digital cards and the NBA Top Shot market that Mike was just talking about. And to do that, we're bringing on a guy who was an early adopter, Sacramento Kings forward and avid NBA Top Shot enthusiast, Harrison Barnes. Harrison, thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate the time, man. So let me ask, were you a collector of traditional sports cards growing up? So I had some sports cards growing up primarily NBA. It's actually funny. Two of the cards I had were Bobby Jackson and Steve Kerr, who both ended up becoming coaches of mine when I got to the NBA. But it was always something that I wish I to collect and try to get more of and things like that. So how is it that you first got into Top Shot? We were in New York and, you know, because of COVID, the training room was like the hangout room, right? Like everyone would come down to the ballroom because we couldn't leave the hotel. 
And Tyrese was like, man, you know, we got to get on Top Shot. Like, we need the whole team to get on it. I'm like, you know, what is this? Digital trading cards, NFTs. I'm kind of like, you know, we've seen this and heard this before. Like, I don't think it's really going to go that far. And once we kind of understood, kind of explained everything to us, saw the interface, I was like, wow, things have improved a lot, you know, from just earlier times this has been tried. And then we all got hooked. Well, we all started getting different cards which we then learned were called moments, you know what I'm saying? Because we understood, you know, what the NFT was, the fact that it was actual play and things like that. I mean, we just kind of snowballed from there. So that was your your teammate Tyrese Halliburton. He was kind of the catalyst, you're saying, for the whole team diving into it? And guys, the guy's a pass first player, man. He just he just came through with the assist for us. <laughs> I like it. So for those who don't know, who have never dabbled in this at all, how does it work with these NFTs or non-fungible tokens? What, you you go online, you buy one of these clipped-off highlights, these moments, and then what? Then what do you do with it? Yeah, so I mean, essentially, you just want to collect moments that mean something to you. Maybe it's your favorite player. Maybe it's part of a set that you want to collect. And then from there, I mean, it exists on the platform, right? Like, if you wanted to sell it, you could, but you could also compete with your friends and see who has a better collection. You can trade. You can buy other moments that are on the market. There's challenges that happen. So if you have, let's say, five moments in this challenge, you will be awarded another one. There's different things like that. How many moments in total would you say you've purchased or are in your portfolio now, roughly? I would guess 200. I mean, I don't keep a specific track, but I think it's around 200. Tell me about your process, Harrison. How much thought goes into what you buy, when you buy it? Or is it, again, just something that's meaningful to you or kind of what what strikes you, you just kind of impulsively go after it? (laughs) Yeah. I think when we first started, we were just buying or we had no idea. We're like, oh, you know, the number eight zero number is going to mean something. Okay, yeah, let's all buy it. Let's find random random moments with the serial number 888 888 whatever like those would be those would be nice and then it was like you know from there it was like okay i want my favorite players right like vince carter for example for me you know going to unc so i had you know this super dope throwback toronto jersey i was going to have him sign it the last time we played him and the pandemic happened so i was like this is crazy so you know like i went i wanted to get his moment when it was on top shot you know just different things like that get my teammates it was funny throughout the season, like, you know, I remember when Rashawn got his first one, Archimezi Metu got his first moment and just different things like that. It was cool to just go and support them. Right. I think I saw uh, you You may have had like a Trey Young moment or something from Ben Simmons. Were those were those things you just eyeballed because you like their game? Yeah, I think uh, Trey's moment, that was a uh, that was a war moment. So there wasn't a whole lot of serials out of that one. And then Ben was a challenge reward as well. Um, so both those, you know, it's, it's things where it's like, you know, I got those because, well, Trey's was different, but Ben's, you know, I completed the challenge, you know, you get that as a, as a reward. And, you know, those are things just, you know, part of the collections. The Top Shot market, when you were getting into it, it obviously was exploding and it was getting a ton of buzz, a ton of press, um, but it's taken a hit recently, come back down to earth a little did you start selling? Did you sit tight? And like, how much as an investment do you worry about the volatility of these now? No, yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's so much volatility that's going on in the sector. So, like, for somebody who's like, oh, I want to try to make money, I want to try to make money off Top Shot, things like that. I wouldn't 
recommend it. But when we got in, when we started doing it with the team, I would say it was at the peak of the market. Like that's when things were crazy. You know, you, you go into these these waiting rooms and there'd be like 100,000 people, 200,000 people. And it's like, it was like a thousand packs. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, you know, how, how do we, you know, how does that, you know, become remedied? And I think over time, the Top Shot team has done an unbelievable job of working to scale, you know, troubleshooting all these issues. So there's a lot of things that, you know, still have to be worked out. And if you take more of a, of a long-term view of this thing, I think that in time, all of these minor issues will be fixed. Allow me to be the skeptic, right? I'm sure you hear a lot of this. You're on the court living these moments and the highlights, they're everywhere. They're, they're on ESPN. You can pull them up on YouTube. So why spend money on them? Yeah, you can. I mean, I think the thing is, you know, having the NFT, having that, having that moment, the ability to be able to transact with it. I think those things, you know, are exciting to the Top Shot community, the NFT community in general. And as with everything, you know, there's really adopters and there's people who will adopt it later when it becomes mainstream. And, you know, time will tell whether or not it'll it'll be successful or it'll be just a bunch of people, you know, a few people with a bunch of nice moments. Other leagues are emulating what the NBA did and, and some feel these digital collectibles are, are really going to be the wave of the future. Are you interested in collecting like football NFTs, other sports? Are you sticking with Top Shot? I mean, Top Shot is, because I understand it, you know what I'm saying? It's easy for me to go through the moments and, and things like that. It's been what I've stuck to, but I'm definitely open to, you know, if there was a, you know, a football version, if there was a baseball version, you know what I'm saying? Seeing how that rollout would be and seeing, is it, okay, is it just from 2021 or 2022 on? Are you guys going to go back in the past? You know, there's all these different things that get worked out, but I think, you know, that's something that's exciting and I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be against it. So you mentioned the uh, volatility, but it sounds like you're interested in the tech and kind of the future path for these. So are you in it for the long haul? You ready to kind of just like ride this out and, and see where this marketplace goes? Yeah. I mean, I'm not, like I said, I don't, I don't look at, you know, top shot it from necessarily like an investment standpoint of saying like, I want my collection to be this and I'm going to sell at this point and I'm going to take my money and I'm going to go. I mean, it's, it's more so for, you know, just being a collector. You know, people collect things all the time, whether it's, uh, whether it's art, whether it's wine, whether it's cars, clothing, shoes, whatever it may be. And, you know, I think um, simply digitizing cards um, in the NFT fashion is, you know, another addition to those things. Well, Harrison, we, we wish you luck this coming season on the court and, and off it as you keep adding to your, uh, your Top Shot collection. And we, uh, we appreciate you taking some time to come on. No, I definitely appreciate the time, man. Thank you. And this story is just part of this month's episode of Real Sports. Also on the new show, David Scott's latest piece looks at the use of Brazilian jiu-jitsu by law enforcement agencies across the country. While the martial art is often associated with violence and cage fighting, some now believe it could actually make the streets safer by transforming how police use force in their day-to-day -day work. And Mary Carrillo reports on rampant sexual abuse in the sport of youth cheerleading, a crisis that took root in the last few years, while industry insiders say cheerleading's national leadership prioritized profit over the safety of children. You can catch those stories and all recent episodes of Real Sports with Brian Gumbel on HBO Max. I'm your host, Max Gershberg. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next time.